You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. We're going to dive into a three-week sermon series on uh, Thessalonians, and this is a giant book compared to what we've been going over. It's huge. It's like several pages now. Um, so what's going to happen is uh, today uh, we're going to dive into the first piece of what does it look like to live a life that's pleasing to God as an individual and as a church. And then next week, uh, we're going to land a little bit on some end time stuff because Paul talks about that with uh, end times and kind of I'll just share with you our church's philosophy on that and kind of where we are with that. It won't be super like end times awesomeness stuff, you know, those things and where's America and all those things, but just kind of why would Paul talk about that to a group of people that he spent a very short time with? And so he does address that. And if we're following the text, we're going to do that. And then the next week, uh, one of our elders, Randy McLaughlin, is going to come up and he's going to be sharing on Second Thessalonians. So that's where we're going for the next three weeks. After that, we're going to do six weeks on the armor of God. And we've got some amazing teachers lined up, uh, and I will not be one of them, because uh, I will be taking a, uh, six weeks off of the pulpit, which is good for you and good for me. Uh, but we have some pretty awesome teachers that I'm excited about introducing you guys to as well. I'll be here. I'll be at church. For, I'm not going anywhere. I'm just doing one of those. Um, and also seeing what God has for us in the future. And then after that sermon uh, series, uh, which will be about six weeks in the armor of God, we're going to do a three-week service on harvest, which will be interesting because it'll be just about the same time that we're experiencing harvest in our area. And we're going to talk about what are we as believers and Christians, what are we to be harvesting? What does it look like to be a worker for God? And so I'm kind of excited about that, and that's kind of going to wrap up uh, for where we're at for the summer. And so I just want to give you guys a heads up. How many people like to know where you're going? How many people just tell like surprises? You're just like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's talk about this book called Thessalonians. Um, and what does it look like to live a life pleasing to God? This uh, book was one of Paul's first letters. It was written approximately 20 years after Jesus' death. And so there's debates on whether Galatians was first, but this was early, early. They date this at 50, uh, you know, at 50, whatever they call it now, A.D., or not AD, but 50, 50 years after the beginning, whatever, the zeros. The zeros started over. Um, and let's take a look at where we are. Remember this. When, a lot of times when you're diving into Paul's letters, Paul was, uh, has written a lot of our letters. He pl- exploded the church. Uh, when you think about this, you've got to remember, this is a letter to, this is not prose or just kind of some guesswork or stuff. This is a letter to real people in a real place at a real time that he is communicating with. And so this real place still exists today, but let's take a look at it on our map. Um, It's going to be up in the uh, far top left in that greens section called Thessalonica. So it's up in Macedonia, which Macedonia is current day like Greece. And so this place is on, uh, this is on Paul's journey. So remember Jerusalem's way down here at the bottom right. This is a, a jaunt away as the gospel is exploding into Macedonia, you know, through Ephesus and Turkey and all this other areas. So if you guys really feel like, you know what, I think our pastor needs more of an education, we would like to send him to current day Thessalonica to suffer like the people in this letter suffered. Let's take a look at that picture where I could suffer. If you guys wanted me to go there and study this book in real time, I could be there. I would be willing to do it for the church. I would sacrifice but this town is awesome still. At the time, it was like 200,000 people, which is a giant city in the ancient world. Today, um, it's a, 
it's a large city. It's uh, over uh, 320,000 still exist in that area. And then outside of its proper, it's over a million. I think it's the second largest city uh, in Greece behind Athens. And so it's like, it's still an awesome location. It still has some great history and all those things. But this is, this is the real deal. This is today. Now, how many people want to take a, a study tour trip to Thessalonica? Okay. Yeah, got a lot of volunteers for that. Okay, do some missionary work over there. All right. Um, so Thessalonica rapidly became uh, popular and wealthy. Uh, there was some wars that happened that kind of helped it launch 168 uh, BC is when it really started to move. The Romans divided and conquered the territory into four districts of Macedonia, four districts. So you're like districts, what are, was this like, what's that, what's that, uh, show with the districts? Hunger Games. You're like, where did they get that idea? Oh, it's from the Bible in these different districts. No, these four different districts. And uh, Thessalonica became like, kind of like the governing district. It was a, it was a big deal in that area. Um, we first get introduced to uh, this area in Acts 17, and it's Paul's trip there. And we kind of can understand that Paul didn't get to spend a lot of time there. This is early on in Paul's ministry, and things are rough. For him, things are rough. And so he gets invited to leave some other churches and places uh, in the darkness of night, which I would say that I have also been invited to leave other churches, but not necessarily in the darkness of light, night. Um, but here's the story of kind of this first uh, piece of the puzzle. So when Paul and his companions had passed through uh, Amphipolis and uh, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as it was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, so that would be three weeks, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And the scriptures he's going to be reasoning with them are going to be Torah. And so he's talking to these folks, and he's talking about the Messiah and the second coming. And explaining and providing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. And some of the Jews were persuaded to join Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, because that's where they were, and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, ah, they dragged out Jason. And some other believers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decree, saying that there is another king, the one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. And as soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So if you were to kind of walk through a timeline here, he was there for three Sabbaths. So Paul uh, is there in, in Thessalonica for three weeks. I mean, you can go to five weeks, however many you want, but he was there for a short period of, uh, short, shorter period of time than other places, and he had to leave under the cover of night. Now Paul goes on. He's exhausted. He's beat up. He's tired. Uh, if you know his story and where he went after that, you know, he was trying to just work it out through kind of uh, the best that he could, but he didn't have a lot of success in Athens. He didn't have a lot of success in these other places, success in our terms. Um, but he's tired. And so uh, he goes back and he writes this letter back to this uh, church in Thessalonica. And he has some things to say to this church, which are fairly positive 
about this church and what they're doing. And remember, the, the question that I asked at the very beginning is, what does it look like to live a life pleasing to God? And I think we're going to see some pretty cool things that Paul is saying, hey, that was a good job. Hey, that was a good job. And not just as uh, uh, an individual, but he's saying this to the church. And so like there's, like, there's individual things that you and I can do that are godly and Christian. And there's also things that people are like, oh, that's real life. So we get a lot of good kudos because of what we are doing as a community. And we could also get some not so great kudos if we were not doing some great things as a community. We are linked together called lifers or wherever the church is that you attend. If you're visiting, you know, you are linked together with your other brothers and sisters in Christ. So let's dive into this first section. I'm going to bounce around into, we're not doing it word by word, but I'm going to bounce around uh, in the first three chapters, mainly today, today, And then next week, we'll talk a little bit more about the end times and some other things that that Paul was saying. So verse 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2. And here's what Paul says. He says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope. And our Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be a really cool letter that real life got? If we got a letter from someone with the chutzpah of the Apostle Paul and they had those things to say about our church, you know, that, that they're excited about our faith and our labor prompted by love and our endurance inspired by hope, that would be a great compliment. And he goes on to say, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because... Our gospel came to you, not simply with just words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. So I find that interesting. That it wasn't just about the hearing of the words. It wasn't just about this information. How many people in here do we we get information? How many people, have you guys can get in some information? Do we live in something called the information Age. How many people Googled something this week? That's like just about everybody, right? And so we can access information, but this was more than just information. This was more than just words on a page. This had something behind it. This had more than just words on the page. This had power. And that power was within the framework of the Holy Spirit. Like something different was happening here. Information is not enough. Information plus transformation changes the world. And that's what they did. The disciples had the information, did they not? Did they just spew information or did they actually live out what they were talking about? The difference between being in a head knowledge Christian and a head and heart knowledge Christian, head and heart knowledge Christians are still doing what the disciples were asked to do. But just gaining information is not, is not exploding the gospel. Think about this. Out of all that you have learned or observed in your life, what has truly transformed you? What has transformed the way that you think or the way that you act or the way that you spend your time? What has transformed what you actually value? For me, 
I asked myself all those questions, by the way. For me, it was the love that I received from God's people after I messed up royally in a church. I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't on staff. But I was in leadership. And I, I messed up royally in the church. I would have kicked me out. And they didn't kick me out. They embraced me and my messiness. And they embraced me into the kingdom of God as a failed man, but as a beloved son of the creator most high. You know what changed me was the love that I received from my wife. I might have kicked me out if I were her. And that love so greatly changed my life. It took me on a path that I'm still on today. The grace I was shown from her parents and the care that I received from our mentors. And I said, I must be like that. I needed to understand that kind of love because I did not have that kind of love. I gave people exactly what they deserved, good and bad. And the good did not outweigh the bad. They held me accountable. They took time to invest in me and allow God to rebuild me to be Onesimus. If you remember from last week's message, Onesimus, that name means useful. Useful for the kingdom of God. And I wonder in here who has a similar story of a love that was so compelling that moved you to be, to be moved from being dangerous for the kingdom of God to being useful for the kingdom of God because that's what happened to me. And I was like, this is not what I deserved. But man, it's so much what I needed to understanding Jesus' love and the love of his people completely changed my life. It wasn't a Bible verse. It was God's people who had ingested God's word and been transformed and changed by them, and they, in turn, transformed and changed me. And they're changing me. It's still changing me. I'm on a lifelong journey of being transformed by God and his word and his Holy Spirit, the power of his Holy Spirit inside of me. What's transforming you? You are being transformed into something, but what is transforming you? What is moving you closer to our King Jesus? Or could something be moving you away from your King Jesus? Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's sarcasm. Maybe it's a growing hatred for a party or this party or these people or those things and you just kind of get worked up about it and you're just more anxious. Like Christians should be super anxious, right? Like super, like you should just walk around just being tense and veins coming out of your head and like so attractive. Like I got to know what you have. Or you're like, no, I don't want to know what that is because that seems like that is not healthy. Maybe you're being transformed into a person who can forgive better who understands joy better, who has increased love for God and his people and his creation. But you are being transformed. Meanwhile, back in the sermon. 
So it goes on in the text to say, you know how we lived among you for your sake. In a short time, you became imitators of us and the Lord. Isn't it really cool when you imitate somebody who's imitating the Lord? That's such a better imitation of what it's supposed to look like, right? That we follow Jesus. Follow me as we're following Jesus together. And as you are in your small groups and you're following Jesus together, like you're being transformed, you're being made new. For you welcome the message in the midst of suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness. Suffering is so awful. And it's when we are so ripe to receive what God has for us in the midst of suffering. And you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia, which is modern day Greece, plus a little bit more. It's a big area. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Oh Lord, give us that letter for this church. Can you imagine if our faith in God has been known everywhere by, by the way we were ingesting God's word, by the way we heard the Holy Spirit, by the way we moved and acted like a church, like a group of people, a mass of people passionate about Jesus. That's what you and I are known for. And it goes on in verse 9, it's on the screen, but it talks about that they, they, uh, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. You changed your culture. They lived in a culture of idol worship. Macedonia is named after Zeus's son. That whole region is named after Zeus's son, and they have lots of gods to worship. And here comes this Christian Paul comes in there and talks about this God of the, of the text, this Messiah, this salvation. And they had a choice to make. They had to turn away from idols. And it got me thinking. If we want our faith to be known everywhere, we might have a little idol hacking to do. What idols are in the way of a life that is pleasing to God? And the hard part, I think, for right now is there's slivers of idols. And so go with me on this journey. Let's try this out. If this doesn't work, I won't do it in the second service, okay? But this is the one I'll be online forever. Close your eyes, and I want you to think about, like, that picture you see at a butcher shop of the, of the cow or the calf. And it has all the different pieces and the, the tenderloins and the uh, rump roast and all of those different pieces of the cow, right? And so there's this idea that there was this calf that was worshipped, this idol that was created to be worshipped, and people brought all their stuff and their gold and their everything, and they're building this calf to worship. Well, Moses is gone, and he comes back, and he finds them worshipping this calf. And I was thinking about this calf for us. And I think about the different cuts of meat on a calf or a cow, but I started adding like slivers of idleness in there. And you have the butt of technology. And you have the haunches of feet taking people away from the kingdom of God. And you have things that are rich in fat, but they're not rich in the fat of the Holy Spirit. They're rich in the fat of things of this world that will dissipate and take us away. And I just wonder what it looks like in your life. And I'm evaluating my life. Like, what are my idols? Like, you have the, you have the, the, the shoulders of pride puffed up. And so as I think about this calf 
and trying to parse out these different idols. And as we move these different idols out of the calf, we allow more room. The Holy Spirit is rushing into your life. And he wants more room and more dominion in your life. And there's things that got to go. I don't know what your things are. But God does. The Holy Spirit does. And so I ask that he just reveal that to all of us, to me, to you. What are the idols? Because they got rid of their idols and they were praised for it and they were known all over the world. What are our idols? What are the sneaky little idols in our culture? Is it sports? Is it technology? Is it gaming? Is it, I don't know what yours are. Is it, but God does. And what if we start kicking idols out? What if you start having the pureness of who God is and what he's doing? So that's just my little visual. I don't know if it made any sense for you guys, but as you think about that, have God this week, ask him, God, what idols are here? What am I playing with? What am I pushing out that you want in and what's coming in that you want out of my life. And he'll answer you, I promise. He'll answer you. I have the idol of not enough pride, acting like God is not enough. Part of me, I think I know what our mental health crisis is. It's the anxiety of not enough. And what would it look like to rest in a God who is enough? I have idols of what does everybody else think about my sermons? About my 48-year-old man Costco dressing (laughs) that I wear all the time. My wife won't let me buy like four of the same shirts anymore. (laughs) I don't wear the cool shoes. I don't have, these are rock ports. These are awesome. I buffed them this morning. What does everybody think about my education? What does everybody think about my kids? What about my, my truck? Is it too nice? It's a 2014. It's got 93,000. Should a pastor drive something crappier than that? My house. I feel like I have to justify my house that God gave us every time somebody comes over. I'm like, oh, it's $200,000 nicer than it should be. I had all these people from church help out, and I worked on it. And like, it's the house. What? is the golden calf slivers of idols that I'm allowing into my life. Because when I allow those things into my life, maybe my faith in God will not become known everywhere. Maybe my faith in man will become more known. So it's time to clear out the idols in my life to hear the one true God. Get rid of all these little idols. You know what these little idols do too? They talk. They chirp in your ear. And they drown out the voice that maybe you want to be hearing, which is God's voice. So I'm going to encourage you guys to, to look at that. I think that's a piece of what uh, living a life that is pleasing to God looks like, is not having a bunch of idols in, in the way of hearing him. Second part I wanted to look at here in First uh, Thessalonians was chapter 2, verse uh, 8 through 12, and they're talking about how so they, they, they uh, Paul and his guys cared for them, and he said, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you Not only the good news, not only the information, but actually our very lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, 
and blameless we were among you who believed. So what does that mean? Holy, righteous, and blameless. It kind of sounds arrogant when I first read it. But now I was stepping back. And what were they trying to model? They were trying to model of what it looks like to be holy. Well, what does holy mean? It means to be set apart. To look different than the rest of the world that's all out there. To not have the same, maybe not doing the same thing that the rest of the world is doing. They were set apart. They looked different in Thessalonica. And they were okay with it. They were righteous. They tried to live rightly in front of people who didn't know God. Right living. And they were blameless. They were not doing wrong to others. So maybe what does it look like to please God is to be set apart. To not be, you can be in the world, but you don't have to be of it. You don't have to be everything about it. So how are we looking set apart? What are we doing? Are we doing the same thing that the rest of the world's doing? Or are we set apart? Are we living in righteousness? Are we efforting to live in right living? Are we trying to, to be blameless and not do wrong things to people? Verse 11 says, For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So interesting, uh, the thing that I found interesting in this piece was they did things together, like they lived life together. And we have this phrase called like doing life together. And it's almost a churchy phrase that you need to identify what does it mean to do life together? So I'm going to tell you some things that I've done in life with other believers. I've built, I've built churches. Been involved in building churches. Like construction and also like what we're doing here. I remember in Missoula, Montana, at the church I was at at that time, we had just were finishing up the sanctuary and trying to get it done before Easter. And we were there at 2 or 3 in the morning on Saturday evening. Easter was coming quickly. And we were painting walls. And we got done at 3 or 4 in the morning, this group of people that were painting walls in this church because Easter was coming. And we finally got done, went home, took a shower, got dressed, and came back for Easter. That's doing life together. We were broken together. We mourned the loss of a church, different church. I vacationed together with Adam and Kathy. We did projects at each other's houses and served each other. We played games. We debated ministry philosophies. We attended special moments in each other's lives. Graduations. I want to congratulate Lily and Lance and um, Ava, uh, some of our graduates. If I didn't say your name, it's because I didn't get an invitation to send. To send. <laughs> I didn't get an invitation to send you a check. No, just <laughs> But we did life together. We built awesome slip and slides and ruined yards together and try not to get hurt and invited the community involved or get, get the community around us. We were loving and compassionate even when it was inconvenient. There was no line of like my church friends and my work friends. Like this is who we were. And I think that's what Paul was. He's doing life. So what does it look like 
to live a life pleasing to God. It looks like uh, being transformed. Not just by God's word, but by the Holy Spirit that is, is coming in there. You can just be a Christian and, and get information for years and years and years and be a dead, like a, like a, you're not going to hell, but you're not doing anything to advance the kingdom when you're just acquiring information and doing nothing with it. I think what it looks like to, to live a life pleasing God is to be an idol kicker outer, identifying idols and getting rid of them because they sneak in. You clean them out and there's something else that's sneaking in. It's like there's an entire force trying to pull you away from your relationship with God. Hmm. So like, when do you have your idol inventory? How often are you doing that? And then it also looks like living with others in true community and being set apart. And so as I was studying this week and looking over this book, I was like, what, God, what do you want for us? And he's like, I want to show you what it looks like, uh, looks like to live a life pleasing to me as individuals and as a, as a church community. You have friends here. You have real friends that will do real life. You don't have to just come to a building and not say hi to anybody and not get engaged with people and connected and, and, and start doing life with them. I see life group folks sitting next to each other. I see people that want to change the world. We want to change what it looks like in our part of the world. And you know why we live this way? Because we have this thing called hope. We have this hope in Jesus Christ, this hope in a Savior that is teaching us how to live differently, to teaching us not to live the way the world lives, but to teach us to live differently. And I would implore you and, know, and, and ask you to continue to adopt that. You have to fight for your relationship with God and the growth of it. You have to be intentional with what we're doing with our time and our effort and our energies and our talents. And when I say you, you know who I really mean? I have to lead that way in my family. I have to lead that way on our staff. I need to lead that way here in this church. And as we're following Jesus together, we're, we're pulling each other along. And so I think that's what it looks like to live a life pleasing to God and what God showed me in the first three chapters of this fabulous letter that Paul gave. Let's take our time and come to communion since we have this thing called hope. If you missed this, um, we would be happy to get it to you or you almost ran into it on your way in. But please grab communion if you're a regular attender here every week. And if not, Ron, my brother, would be more than happy to get that to you. If you raise your hand, he'll get you some communion because we come back to the root. We come back to the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We come back to what it looks like to be transformed and changed by him, his word, and his Holy Spirit. Amen? How many people want change? How many people want to move closer to what God has for the, for the kingdom that you get to be a part of it? I do. There's nothing else better to do. And there's no better, bigger sacrifice that was ever made. He came down on earth and lived as man, suffered, died, and was buried, and rose in three days, and was seated at the right hand of the Father. He left us this gift called the Holy Spirit that is with us all the time. You are never, ever, as a Christian, without God within you. You are never alone. That's fool's gold when you tell yourself you're by yourself because you're never by yourself when you have Jesus Christ. So the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it. 
He said, this is my body. It's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We remember the hope we have in our risen King Jesus. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, uh, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord, we ingest you. We remember you. You are within us, Father God. And we thank you for that. Lord, I just ask for a blessing upon the folks that are here today. That are here, that are open to hearing what you would have in their lives. That are open to you revealing things that are in the way. Could be something super, super tiny. Or it could be something really, really big. But Father God, I ask that in my life and in our lives here, that you would help us identify the idols and make more room for your Holy Spirit to dwell within us. Your power, the power of your word, and the power of your spirit, that it would overflow onto the people here on the Palouse. Help us to be your church, Lord. Help us to be your church with your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.